0: you <laughs> to this end life episode number 80. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is not here to replace your current medical treatment and is for educational purposes only. As always, I want to thank our first sponsor today, Bu. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary periods care, in my opinion. I have seen... These period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients. If my clients are going through a flare up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes, I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. (laughs) Um, And if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B-E- you If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. I just wanted to give a shout out to my lovely new sponsors and fellow endo queens, Semaine. Semaine is a natural plant-based supplement designed by twin sisters of Endo, Catherine and Lauren. They've been on the show before. If you want to go back and have a listen, it is episode 61. The supplement is designed to reduce inflammation and pain signals during our period and, taken over several months, works to reduce cumulative inflammation, which is so common in people with endometriosis. Semaine is made up of nine natural ingredients, which have been shown in studies to reduce pain and inflammation in people with endo or painful periods. Sermaine even studied the effectiveness of their supplement and found that people who tried Somain experienced a 90% reduction in bloating, 70% had reduced pelvic pain, and 50% felt less overwhelmed and anxious, which is crazy. I would, I'm so excited to receive my, my bottle. Um, okay, if you want to try Somain, they are currently offering 15% off with your first order and they deliver worldwide. The link is in my show notes, or you can just head to www.semanehealth.com. That's S-E-M-A-I-N-E. I would love to hear how you get on with them. So it's officially Endometriosis Awareness Month. And if you guys are interested in getting involved, I know there are worldwide marches going on just all over the place. In the UK, the marches are happening on the 28th of March uh, in London, Belfast, Leeds and Glasgow. Um, so yeah, I usually go every year, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to attend this one, um, but hopefully I will and I'll let you guys know if I am. Um And I imagine that there will be lots of meetups this month. I know that um, the groups who run, the leaders who run the Endometriosis UK support groups often do more groups throughout this month. So definitely check out their website. And to honour Endometriosis Awareness Month, I am also um, offering some gifts and just, yeah, just a way of... um, celebrating this month and raising awareness and supporting people to live well and thrive with endo so if you haven't got my book yet you've been struggling financially and yeah just the book wasn't on your radar to buy it is currently free the digital copy is currently free if you go to my instagram and go to the link in my bio and just click on the link that says free book um, and download there the link is not on my website so just definitely go to my instagram Um, Also, I noticed a couple of you aren't, so because of GDPR, um, which is kind of like a data regulation thing, um, legally, I have to have a double opt-in, which means when you sign up to get the free book, you will be emailed and asked to confirm that you subscribed for that. And once you click you confirm, then you'll get the book. It's just basically a way for um, us to legally prove that we're not spamming you, basically. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a a requirement. So some people aren't ticking the double confirmation and then they're not getting the book. So the way to get the book is to tick that. I am also doing a tip a day, Monday to Friday, Based around a theme of the week. So this week is all about in the moment pain relief. So, so far I have done tips about ginger and magnesium and you can just tune into my Instagram stories to see the rest of the tips for the rest of the week and I'll be doing that all month. Um, I am also doing a special offer of 300 pounds off my endometriosis health coaching program called Owning Your Endo Life and that begins, the second round of that begins in mid-April. So if you're interested in working one-to-one with me to learn how to manage and thrive with your endometriosis, then this is a really good time to sign up because £300 off discount lasts all month. So if you want to book in a call with me, the link is in my show notes to do that. And just to give you an overview of what the program is about, it's completely tailored to you, but there is a structure and a kind of method that we use to manage, reduce your symptoms and really get you feeling energized with endometriosis and thriving. We'll optimize your energy levels, reduce your fatigue, reduce your brain fog, heal your gut so you're not dealing with that endo bloat, and of course reduce pain and support you to have healthy menstrual cycles and just overall get a new feeling back in control, you have tools to manage endometriosis and you have your life back. I'm also doing just so much some special one-off coaching packages. Um, Some of you wanted to do just have one session to discuss a specific topic you're struggling with with endo or because you're just not really ready to commit to a 12-week program or because, you know, the 12-week program is more than you can afford. So I have five spaces only for the one-off coaching sessions. And they are two hours long and in the two hours we will be going over your goals and vision for your health, endometriosis, and creating a plan to kickstart your journey to reducing your symptoms and getting your life back so that you can really thrive with endo. And also one more thing, there are only nine spots available for the full 12-week coaching program. So consultations are booking up fast. So if you're interested um, you can book in a call with me, free call, just to chat about the program and tell me a little bit about what's going on with you and what you hope to achieve through coaching and what your hopes are for your health. And of course, there's absolutely no obligation. So if it doesn't sound like it's right for you, then I will make recommendations and I'll send you other tools and resources to help you get started on your way. So Um, either way I'll support you with your goals so that you can live well with endo. So today's episode is on a topic that I haven't really touched upon yet on the podcast, um, which is fertility or, you know, infertility. When you read about endo in the media, often I find like the biggest headline is that it causes infertility and then they tend to interview the people who have struggled the most with infertility. And so, we don't really hear about the success stories and we're often told to get pregnant soon whether we want or are ready for children or not and I think you know the combination of the media, the mixed information on the internet and the very impersonal accounts that we hear can often leave us feeling really confused. So this The stats behind endometriosis and infertility is actually that it's associated with a 30 to 50% prevalence of infertility, but just because someone struggles to get pregnant doesn't mean they'll never be able to conceive. So rather than doing an episode on struggles, I really wanted to do one on optimizing fertility and how it can be possible to um, get pregnant with endometriosis And I think at some point it would be lovely to do, and I did have this booked in with a guest, but unfortunately um, they couldn't do the podcast due to some private personal circumstances. But I was going to do an episode all around kind of dealing with the struggle of infertility and loss. Um, And I would love to do that at some point so that those of you who are struggling have that kind of outlet and that opportunity to learn from that and find some support. But in today's episode it's all about optimizing fertility and I'm talking to Stephanie Valakas. Stephanie is an accredited dietitian and nutritionist specializing in supporting couples to optimize their fertility and nourish their young families into childhood. She is the founder of The Dietologist where she works with people living with PCOS, endometriosis and other Hormonal conditions to create a healthy foundation to conceive from, and she supports her client throughout pregnancy and into parenting. In this episode, we talk about Stephanie's own journey with endo, how and why endometriosis can affect fertility, because I think there's quite a lot of like confusion and just um, uncertainty around that. The three core areas, the three core ways rather that she supports people with endometriosis to conceive and have healthy pregnancies, key nutrients and foods for fertility nutrition for IVF and how to get started with preparing for pregnancy, whether you hope to conceive soon or in five years time. This is, you know, the first time that we have talked about fertility and I'm so glad that I kicked off this subject with Stephanie because she is so well informed. Her Instagram, I keep telling her this, is just incredible. It's so helpful and um, she's just very clear on her approach to managing and I think it's also going to be really refreshing to hear about her approach to managing um, and optimizing for fertility. So I really hope you enjoy it and I hope you get a lot out of the conversation. We didn't get round to answering the questions that you guys sent in on Instagram so on Wednesday the 11th of March, Stephanie is going to be taking over my Instagram and she's going to be going through those questions and answering those to you guys in my stories. So keep an eye out for those. Um, and if you want to get in touch with Stephanie, she is at the underscore dietologist on Instagram. So here she is. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I don't know, you know how much you know about the show, but I always like to start with people's experience and journey, whether they've got endo or painful periods. And um, oddly enough, you were diagnosed with endometriosis recently. So um, can you tell us a bit about you know yourself and your experience with endo and what inspired you to work in fertility and nutrition?
1: Yeah. So I was inspired to work in fertility and nutrition long before I knew I had endometriosis. Um, so my passion for early life nutrition which spans the first 1000 days of life from preconception so kind of three to six months before um, a, a child is conceived to say the child's second or third birthday we know that diet and nutrition and other environmental factors play a critical role in the way our genes are expressed programming our future generations for different disease risks and I really thought this was the ultimate form of preventative nutrition and as I started to learn more and more um, I was really interested in paediatrics at first at children's nutrition I started working that field and then I started seeing you know things not going quite right during pregnancies and thinking oh maybe it would be better if I helped pregnant women so that babies were babies and young children were healthier to get started with and then I really fell in love with fertility and preconception health and nutrition and it was really a set of three three papers published by the Lancet back in I think it was 2018 when I really started it's always been something that I've been passionate about but 2018 was really a big turning point for me um, when these three papers were published and it was basically saying you know this is the future of health and that all healthcare professionals should take preconception health and nutrition very very seriously and this is the future of not just one generation but potentially two generations of women and because women who conceive daughters they're the eggs of their daughter is going to start developing at around 20 weeks gestation so it's like your grandchildren's DNA (laughs) is actually growing inside you which is crazy to think about but so so powerful and so I thought you know what would be better than than helping people um at that point is to even go back earlier than that and yeah I think for me that's really fundamentally where the passion lied and I think it was reinforced by you know my experiences growing up a Mediterranean background I'm a Greek Australian and Um, seeing the Mediterranean diet and not really having much infertility in my family but then really learning about how common infertility was in the greater community and then you know people around me being diagnosed with endo and being diagnosed with PCOS and other conditions that could potentially affect fertility and I thought wow you know these are the questions they're going to come to me with in a few years time when they want to start a family and I'd really love to know these answers. And in terms of my own endo journey, I think for me uh, it was actually really funny. I was having a chat to a really close friend of mine, um, and she said, "Steph, you you said you thought you had endometriosis about five years ago, and um, uh, she was right. I I did, and I had totally forgotten that I that thought had even crossed my mind. Probably <laughs> before I really understood what the condition was, as as well as I do now." Um, but yeah, I'd always suspected something was always quote unquote wrong with me, um, but I could never pinpoint it, nor could I ever be really heard on it either. Um, and because I work in health and then I started working in the field of fertility and women's health, uh, I'd often get told, you know, maybe just seeing seeing what you see in your clients, in you and maybe maybe wow yeah yeah (gasps) oh my god Uh, (laughs) it's crazy it's a great comment it's a great comment um yeah like maybe I'm diagnosing myself based on other people mate. yeah but I see a lot of like PCOS and thyroid problems and like I don't think I have those so (laughs) um yeah it was actually really funny as well I did this um I used this app really randomly out of the blue I can't remember where I found it from uh, called ADA like ADA and it's one of those apps where you type in like you type in your main symptom complaint and then you go through like basically a branching series of questions and asks you you know do you have this problem like are you urinating too frequently are you this are you that Mm -hmm. And, and it asks you like a million different questions anyway and it gives you the most like probable diagnosis followed by the next most probable diagnosis followed by the next and of course go speak to your GP and blah 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 anyway one day I was having pretty bad symptoms and I thought oh you know what I'm just gonna like just test and see how good this artificial intelligence app is and straight away it was like endometriosis and this is again well before I was diagnosed and I was like huh seems to keep pointing me in that direction (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it was one day it was one week in clinic actually seeing uh woman after woman with endo That didn't have kind of the traditional and there obviously is no traditional symptoms but you know the the ways that sometimes it can be depicted is it's painful heavy periods and um debilitating pain and um you know unable to have a livelihood or you know really poor quality of life and these these women I was seeing their quality of life had been affected but perhaps not to the degree that i was used to seeing women with endo and the media can sometimes paint as well with and i thought wow you know this woman only had symptoms of fatigue and when they did a laparoscopy for fertility they found endo or this woman only had funny bowels and fatigue and a few other little things but you know has super light periods that go for two days and isn't in any pain at all um And she was diagnosed with endo. And I just went, wow, you know, I know this is such a diverse disease, but I really thought the hallmark was painful, heavy periods. And when I debunked that stereotype within my own mind, that's what really pushed me to go, hang on, I need to go get myself sorted out.
0: Right. I see. Yeah. And it's so interesting with endo because you could have like so much endo, deep infiltrating and have, you know, no symptoms at all. Um, And then, just a little bit of endo and have all of the symptoms. So it, it totally varies so much. So are your symptoms more kind of towards the fatigue and that kind of area?
1: Yeah. Well, I've struggled a lot with fatigue related to different like issues. So I've had repetitive iron deficiency in the past and that was due to, um, like too frequent bleeding on the oral contraceptive pill. And, um, I've had more recently folate deficiencies which are really unexplained and yeah like a few weird nutrient things going on that would make sense as to why I felt fatigued and Mm -hmm. but yeah I definitely got diagnosed with IBS before I wore irritable bowel syndrome before I got diagnosed with endo and um I think for me that kind of complicated the picture only because when during that, di- whilst I got diagnosed with that, they found an ulcer in the part of my bowel, which was quite uncommon, but it was exactly where I was in pain. So I had this very spot oh, localized pain yeah. and the ulcer, they couldn't do anything about it. So they came out of the colonoscopy and were like, well, you've got an ulcer, can't do anything about it, but that's probably why you're in pain. And the rest of your symptoms are down to irritable bowel. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. I've got an answer. Makes sense. Move on. And then it wasn't really till I completely came off all hormonal contraceptives that the, the real truths of my (laughs) cycle came to light and yeah, like some, uh, some other stuff was going on as well. And I just really went, hang on. If I sat down with a woman and she told me everything that I have been through, I would have sent her back to a doctor and asked them for a laparoscopy like so I had to be my own patient almost and be like look this is what you would do for somebody else you need to do this for yourself too which is hard but I did it and I guess my gut instinct was in fact right even five years ago (laughs)
0: absolutely and it's so funny the amount of people that I speak to and they have an instinct that something's wrong but they're told by like professionals that they're fine. And so we just try to like stifle that feeling down. Um, you know, or we get a diagnosis and we're like, okay, but we're not really satisfied with that diagnosis, you know, but we're like, well, they're not going to investigate anymore because they told me it was this. So I'm really glad that you finally got a diagnosis. And you now, I mean you're a dietitian. So you will you have all of the tools to um, be able to start having like a holistic approach to managing it so I hope it becomes yeah a bit easier for you yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and I think yeah I'm definitely in a very privileged position where yeah I do have a lot of tools in the toolbox to self-manage which is great
0: yeah absolutely so you mentioned that you have um like clients come in with endo so what sort of fertility issues do you often see in patients with endo because um off the top of my head, I might be misquoting it, it's 30 to 50% of um, endo patients might have infertility at some point. But um, I think a lot of people, when they hear of endo, and that's something that I've been kind of battling for quite a long time, a lot of people, especially the press, will be like, oh, it causes infertility. And it's like, yeah, it's not just infertility. There's a lot of other things that it can do to a person's life. But... um, I think there is like a lot of fear around infertility with endo and a lot of confusion about what kind of like why people have infertility and is it like, you know, is that it? They're infertile forever or can it be, you know, rectified? So I'd just love to hear what you see in the clinic and your kind of understanding of it.
1: Yeah, I think, oh yeah, like I have to preface with the fact that Obviously, I'm not a a medical doctor, so my insights are pretty different to those of a medical specialist. My understanding of the way that endometriosis impacts fertility in women is the first is the nature of it being chronic and inflammatory and the potential for inflammation in close proximity to our ovaries, which are filled with the largest cell in the human body, our eggs. Um and that fluid surrounding the egg that's in the follicle can uh have an increase in inflammatory markers um in some circumstances, and so I guess it's kind of assumed that given that endometriosis is a chronic inflammatory pelvic condition that there isn't a, a potential for inflammation to affect egg quality and mm. the the quality of the DNA within the eggs so there's that the second is more around structure and if the endometriosis has changed the anatomy or has created some kind of structural blockage, so um, endometriosis in fallopian tubes. I've had some clients report that uh, getting an internal ultrasound would was actually impossible Uh, but somehow had conceived two children and birthed them naturally without knowing she had endometriosis, but had found out after the fact and went for another ultrasound and, yeah, found out that the endo was so prolific that the ultrasound didn't even get an internal. um, Wow. Which is significant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you just see like such like crazy. Obviously, you hear crazy stories all the time, but um, it doesn't mean it's the norm. But you, of course, there's structural issues. So if you've got you know quite progressed stage four or maybe even stage five endometriosis, and anatomically you know bits aren't where they're meant to be, that could potentially affect um, the uh, the ability to conceive or carry a baby. Um the other aspect is around like is around hormones and being slightly progesterone resistant so women with endometriosis tend to have a excess of estrogen and tend to struggle to respond well to progesterone that's a gross generalization but um just generally speaking uh and endometriosis proliferates on estrogen and so progesterone is really important to carry you through the early parts of pregnancy before the placenta then takes over and so there there is I guess an idea that there might be a slightly higher risk of say early pregnancy loss in women with endometriosis um but this this all being said like it all seems like doom and gloom but the end at the end of the day like women with endometriosis get can get pregnant and most, you know, up to 50% will have no issues at all. And it's really about uh, management and personal circumstances and so many other factors. Like, like we can't ignore age as a factor. And when you choose to start trying for a family, you know, obviously over the age of 35, we know that statistics are not really on our side. So, Uh, When you compound that with endometriosis, of course, it's going to be additionally more challenging to start a family. It doesn't mean impossible, it just means more difficult. Um, And the list goes on and on. You know, you can have endometriosis and something else. Like a lot of women have other kinds of autoimmune conditions or inflammatory conditions that are also playing a role. Like I see a lot of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid condition leading to low thyroid hormones. That can affect your cycle. Mm-hmm. And then from a nutrition angle, um, I see a lot of nutrient deficiencies in women with endometriosis, which can have a role to play when it comes to fertility. Yeah. So I see a, quite a lot of iron deficiency, uh, especially in those women with very, very heavy periods um, mm-hmm. or, you know, very frequent periods. I tend to find that women with endometriosis naturally have slightly shorter cycles. So they don't tend to go, you know, 30 to 35 days. They're more likely to be like, 21 to 26 days or maximum 28 days and they t- their cycles tend to come a little bit sooner and when you really add that up there's probably an extra one to two periods per year than the average woman um which is when it's heavy that's a significant additional blood loss to account for and so our iron needs are higher and you know more More than twenty percent of women struggle to even get the iron that they need when they don't have additional demand, so adding that on top is quite significant um yeah. and then b twelve deficiencies I see especially in women who are um, going towards a more plant based diet uh vitamin D deficiencies, which is just common in the population in general um, and I can imagine in the u k is very very common yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think that that's like some of the top line things um but it, it, it can affect it can affect fertility in more ways than one and you know even when it comes to implantation when the sperm meets the egg in the fallopian tube and starts to migrate towards the uterus to implant you know if you've got uh, lots of contractions happening around that time in terms of the uterus contracting because of high prostaglandins or something with the hormones not being right you can potentially like prevent implantation from occurring to a degree so yeah I mean it's super complex and it's super hard to pinpoint which is at play for each person but it's definitely not impossible but there are definitely factors to consider and yeah as being a recently diagnosed young person who would like to have a family one day I am, I am always looking into this stuff. So <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. really interesting what you're saying about, I mean, there's so many co-conditions with endometriosis and they can all kind of have an effect and we might not look into these other co-conditions because we think it's all, we think it's all endo because we're told like we all of the symptoms are lumped under endo, but there could be something else causing the fatigue for example and you know, I think the deficiencies you bring up are really interesting because I've recently had lab tests um, and I, because I've been under like chronic pain, you know, I had, I don't have it anymore, but I had chronic pain and I I have chronic pain with my interstitial cystitis. um, And the chronic fatigue is just kind of really messed up my gut health, like, you know low stomach acid low digestive enzyme so i haven't been absorbing antioxidants properly so i've got like high levels of inflammation and i haven't been absorbing b vitamins properly yet. Yeah, i'm like you know i'm so on with my nutrition and the right supplements so at the moment i'm having like oral um supplements you know so sprays through my through my cheeks to absorb some of them whilst we repair the gut and it's just so it's so interesting how there are these knock-on effects that then cause other issues and symptoms that can make it harder to, um, even manage your condition or live well or conceive. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's so important. And thank you for bringing that up. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. This episode is also sponsored by my free guide, Managing Endometriosis Naturally. If you don't know where to start with beginning to take a holistic approach to managing your endometriosis symptoms, then this might help you. Um, If you'd like to download it, just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy. So when you see, you know, these women in your clinic and they have the fertility issues, what's your approach to managing this
1: yeah so for me it's really about one we need kind of some objective information so we need to know you know what's what stage of endometriosis do you have when was the last time you had a surgery or you know what's been the management plan up until this point um I recommend all my clients to get quite uh, comprehensive preconception blood work done and all those nutrients that I just mentioned are, are covered in that and some additional ones too and screening the thyroid screening for autoimmune thyroid conditions screening for celiac disease we know that these autoimmune conditions have higher incidence in women with endo but even just in infertility in general I mean in Australia one in 70 people have celiac disease which is an autoimmune condition affecting the gut uh, as it reacts to the protein gluten in food and we know that that is a cause of both male and female infertility and yet we still don't screen or test for it properly and I think it's really tough now as well because it's so trendy to be gluten-free especially for hormones and fertility and unfortunately that a lot of the tests that are done for celiac disease require Quite a significant amount of gluten exposure to actually be accurate, so you could be getting false negatives. I mean, I would hazard to say a lot of people don't eat four slices of bread day in and day out for six weeks of the year in a row before getting that test because you know, if one slice of bread makes you feel bloated and awful you probably aren't gonna try and get four slices of bread day (laughs) day out for six weeks so it's a really tricky one because we do need to have this information but we actually need the test to be done in the right conditions and so I think a lot of education is very much so lacking in that space and because women with endo do have a higher risk of this condition I think there definitely needs to be more education and before women go and start cutting out gluten and dairy and soy or whatever else you want to try and experiment with um number one get tested for celiac disease and number two just be really mindful of any nutrients that you are going to be also eliminating from your diet as a result of these food restrictions um and so yeah for some women i even send them a request for them to go and get a bone mineral density scan done which actually looks at how much of the mineral in their bone there is and often wow I'm really surprised to show, to see that, you know, women as young as in their mid to late twenties are on their way to osteoporosis because of either vitamin D deficiencies uh, untreated or unknown about, or calcium inadequacy in the diet. Um, And it's a really, it's super, super common, just so under, A, underdiagnosed and underdetected and B, um, yeah it's just not discussed like how to replenish like how to get calcium elsewhere if you're going to eliminate dairy so yeah I mean my approach is all about like a be as liberal as possible in the diet whilst being as uh customized as possible so for me it starts like I kind of now focus on three steps like education so educating women about their condition you know most women haven't had a really good explanation of their what's going on for them, you know, uh, whether that be endometriosis or PCOS or whatever's going on for them. Most of them don't have a good, thorough physiological understanding of what's going on in their body. Yeah, and then I also educate them about how nutrition may play a role in in helping with that particular condition. Uh, and then I talk I talk a lot about. Obviously, different types of foods and the amounts of foods and all that specific nitty gritty stuff. Uh, but then it's really about empowerment and actually giving them the skills to translate this newfound knowledge into actions. And that's really where the third part comes in, which is enhancing their their lifestyle and enhancing their ability to conceive or enhancing the the their quality of life because now they don't have pain on one week of every month of the of the you know of the rest of their reproductive life that one week is now regained because they're no longer in um, significant pain and even that like even for women not trying to conceive with endo like that's such a huge success uh, absolutely yeah uh, you know even like I that's such a huge 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 win and I think I just think wow you know the things that women can do if they had one more even if they just had one more week and not to say it's all concentrated one week but like, even just say that, like, even if we said gave women five days of every month for the rest of their reproductive life back to be more productive days, more well days, less, you know, medications that they needed, like, that's, for me, huge. Um, And they know how to manage it for the rest of their lives. So, I mean, there's a combination of strategies with diet and supplementation and eliminating things and reintroducing things and there's definitely times and places for that but as a general thing I really try and focus on abundance rather than restriction because I find that's really where the the transformation happens is when we we focus on what we can have rather than what we can't
0: yeah yeah completely agree and what's your approach to fertility with endo change if someone was going through IVF
1: yeah So with IVF specifically, it really depends what part of their journey they're on. And there's so many ways to do IVF now. It's not just here, pull the eggs out here, get, you know, husband, partner, donor, sperm, insert into egg, put back into uterus. Now there's donor eggs. Now there's surrogates. Now there's um, reciprocal IVF. Now there's donor embryos, donor sperm, donor eggs. There's so many ways and it really depends when the couple is coming to me so if a couple is already coming to me and they've already got a f- embryo ready in the freezer and they're coming to me pre-transfer the medications will often do most of the work of their med- their quote-unquote cycle uh, their medicated cycle and then really what we're focusing on is implantation. So the embryo implanting into the uterine wall and struggling in and staying in there for, for hopefully the next kind of nine to 10 months. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously then we focus on, on implantation and early pregnancy and building nutrition stores for potentially a bit of a rocky first trimester with nausea and poor intake. Or, you know, if they're at the beginning of their journey, they're about to go for egg retrieval, sperm sperm um, retrievals and all that kind of stuff, then I'd be focusing a lot on egg and sperm quality um, and customizing different supplements and diets to that particular couple and what they need. Uh, so it really just depends um, on where they are at. But yes, it can change things because we do have a level of specificity of the timeline. like. When you're naturally conceiving, you don't know exactly when implantation will occur, whereas when you're doing ivF things are so so monitored you know exactly when's what's doing and when's doing, and you know if your your lining is too thin or too thick and you have all these details that you wouldn't know if people just you know conceived in the privacy of their bedroom um but you know in a medicalized environment, you have all this information, so you can customize to that nitty gritty detail. Versus yeah, not necessarily having as much confidence or scope to do that with natural or you know natural conception, I guess
0: right, okay, that's so interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that way um so are there like key nutrients and foods that people can begin adding in now, so if someone's listening and and fertility is on their radar they maybe they don't know where they're at with um. Their possibilities of conception. Um, what would you suggest that? Like, could they start adding in some key nutrients and foods now?
1: Yeah. So I think if you've got endometriosis and you'd either like to conceive soon or you'd like to conceive one day, I think you know you can approach it really s- similarly because at the end of the day, uh, as a woman, your eggs are being carried with you your whole life. So. So like from 20 weeks of when you were in your mum's tummy. So they've come along with you for a long time. So you definitely can start treating your body as, you know, as best as you can, if, even if, you know, maybe starting a family isn't on your radar in the next, you know, one, two, maybe even three years, maybe it's a five-year goal, but it doesn't mean you can't start making kind of these positive steps now. And it do- definitely does add up. So some of the key, Nutrients and foods that I would focus on for women with endo, I might just put three, (laughs) otherwise I could be here for a very long time. Um, The first one is omega-3 fatty acids. We know that these are anti-inflammatory essential fatty acids that help support blood flow to the reproductive system. For many, it helps tame those pesky prostaglandins at the time of the month um, and really help to mitigate some of the cramping. Uh, uh, and also with clotting and things like that so it can be really quite a powerful uh, nutrient for a lot of women with endometriosis and the best sources are your oily fish so your salmon, your mackerel, your trout, sardines, anchovies and tuna to a lesser degree at least here in Australia the omega-3 content in tuna is super variable and not as good as the other types. Um, so omega-3 fatty acids from marine sources are ideal. So our fish, fish, um, sources only because our body is pretty inefficient at converting our plant-based sources like chia seeds or flax seeds or hemp seeds or walnuts, uh, that is ALA omega-3 and our body is not very good at converting that into the long chain marine kind of polyunsaturated fats of EPA and DHA. Uh, in the body it's quite an inefficient process so you definitely want to be prioritizing a couple times a week seafood and especially those those oily fish sources and there has been some research to suggest that couples who eat fish or seafood twice a week uh, or eight times per menstrual cycle but couples say roughly twice a week uh, that had seafood had a shorter time to pregnancy so there seems to be some benefit to increasing these particular foods for uh, time to conception so that's one. The second one is uh, antioxidants. Now in the fertility world antioxidants are pretty uh, controversial because every time they do a, a a supplement study on antioxidants in fertility it always shows no significant effect um, and I suspect the reason that this is the case is because antioxidants there are so many they have so many variable functions and they are designed to function within the context of the food not within the context of a capsule so antioxidants come along with other vitamins and minerals and you know fats and carbohydrates and proteins that help optimize their absorption and function in the body and this is really called the food matrix effect and that's often why we find we don't get the same benefit when we isolate a particular nutrient or group of nutrients into a supplement versus uh, eating the whole food. Now, that's not always consistently the case, but I think what we're starting to see with the research now is that that is definitely at play with antioxidants. So we need to be achieving this through the diet. So that for me, I aim for three different coloured plants at at least two meals a day, so say that's lunch and dinner. So say you want to make sure you get something green, something say red or orange, and then maybe something yellow, purple, white, uh, something different coloured. And I think that is a really good goal to work towards because it's moving away from this whole counting calories, you know, eh, situation that so many women get caught up in uh, and focusing instead on colours and expanding vegetable and fruit repertoires and buying seasonally and really you know exposing your body to lots of different types of antioxidants in their their ideal form, which is food and I think as well sometimes we forget about herbs and spices, both dried and fresh, and how potent they are in antioxidants, which can really help from an inflammatory perspective and an anti proliferative um uh, aspect as well of endometriosis uh cells so i think you know there's definitely no there's no harm in increasing the color and variety of fruits and vegetables in your diet i think it's a pretty low risk thing too uh (laughs) and having more herbs and spices in your life is only going to make things taste better so i think it's a really simple effective Uh, and low risk uh, strategy for people to use whether they've got endo just looking to better self-manage or uh, trying to conceive I think it's a really nice one and I think the third one that I might talk about is around zinc now zinc is much like iron that most women of reproductive age don't get enough and It's found in similar sources to our iron-rich foods, so like red meat, but especially shellfish and seafood zinc is rich in and our legumes and beans, nuts and seeds. Some grains, at least here in Australia, have zinc added into them, like breakfast cereals and things like that. So zinc is found in a few different places, but most women don't get enough. And we're starting to understand that zinc is quite important for the early stages of embryo maturation and in fact there's this is super super cool study which I probably talk about way too much but that's okay I'm a big <laughs> science nerd so it's fine um, but they actually showed that when a sperm meets an egg that this like release of zinc firework occurs um, wow. at the time of fertilization and so I think what research is starting to point to is that we have totally underestimated the role of this nutrient in preconception and fertility and yeah it's definitely something that i do screen for and um is is tends to be low in, in quite a lot of women and if you just take a folate tablet and nothing else in your preconception period you could be missing out on you know nutrients like zinc or omega 3 or uh, iodine or choline and i mean there's so many different nutrients we could talk about in preconception but um, yeah i mean I think zinc is a really, really cool one. And is one that I think is universally across the board as women, we could definitely be doing better in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So would this change for people who have endo and are pregnant um, and they want to like continue to support their diet so that they can have a healthy pregnancy?
1: Yep. Uh no, not really. There's only a few things that I really like change or get people to stop once they're pregnant. Um, it's generally related to specific uh, kinds of supplements that we might have been using in, in as a short-term strategy from an IVF especially perspective. Um, so, yeah, like I had a question come through on my Instagram Q&A earlier this week saying, oh, why, why do you tell pregnant women to stop taking vitamin E tablet say for example we know vitamin e is a potent antioxidant it's a fat soluble um and it's great for our skin and all that good stuff and there's been some evidence uh that it can help with uh uterine lining with uh, ivf but it's at very very high doses at doses that you cannot really achieve through diet so um it would be supplement only kind of situation and so I do recommend stopping that as soon as you are pregnant because it's a fat-soluble nutrient, which means our body stores it for a lot longer than our water-soluble, right. like vitamins B and C. And so A vitamins A, D, E and K can all be stored for a really long time Uh, if you have high levels for too long and that can be toxic to not only you but especially say vitamin A especially for your baby as well so you definitely want to be very very mindful of of what you're taking and what it contains especially if you're not taking something that's uh, like pregnancy friendly or doesn't state that it's pregnancy friendly vitamin A you'll find in like heaps of different um, products especially uh, like fish oils tend to be quite Can can creep up in vitamin A, so you definitely want to be very very mindful of what you're what you're selecting when you are pregnant or you're about to be pregnant. But besides that, honestly, there's very very few things that I change. I mean, sure, I talk to women a little bit about food safety and making sure that they're reheating things to hot and you know, not too many stinky cheeses and all that boring stuff Mm -hmm. that you have to do when you're pregnant to avoid any food poisoning kind of situation but honestly for me like if you want to get pregnant eat like eat like a pregnant person um because I think sometimes women treat it as like oh when I'm pregnant I'll I'll eat better because then there's a motivation to. um but then they realize 12 weeks of their pregnancy if not more is riddled with awful nausea and they can't keep anything besides you know a cracker or pasta or a piece of toast down, which is fine. But they really envisaged envisaged it to be a time of, you know, eating salads and having, you know, very nice, healthy, balanced meals. Uh, but that's not their reality. And sometimes I get a lot of women actually panicking about this and like, oh my God, I'm not nourishing my baby. Like I can't keep anything but a rice cracker down. This surely can't be good. Um but for those women that I see, you know, in months leading up to conception, I always, I can be so confident and reassure them, you know, hey, it's all good. This is why we did the work that we did before this point. You know, your body can help stockpile these things for when there are, you know, times where you're not getting 100% of what you need and that's okay and normal, Um you know trust the fact that you did some of the good hard work before um so yeah besides that i mean really very very few tweaks few supplement things need to be pulled off but the rest is pretty safe uh and and recommended and there's probably a few increases as well that need to occur like your iron demand does really pick up in second and third trimester so really keeping on top of that uh monitoring and you know either supplementing appropriately um with, with under the guidance of your doctor, of course, as well. So yeah, I think, you know, very, very limited changes that I would make in pregnancy.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's so helpful. Thank you so much. So my final question, um, we've got some listener questions, but we might not have time for that. So, um, we can cross that bridge when we get there, but my final question, I'm wondering if you've already answered it, but let me know, cause you might have other kind of areas that you would like people to focus on. So what key areas do you suggest like listeners begin focusing on to get started with this journey?
1: Yeah, I think if you've you know you have endometriosis or you think you might have it and you're thinking of conceiving either sometime soon or you know you'd like to one day I think you know either of those categories. Um I think you know take yourself off to your doctor have a conversation, get some blood work done and, you know, come to terms with where you're at because, you know, if you want to conceive next month and you have a severe nutrient deficiency, it doesn't, you know, just correct itself overnight. So, you know, if you need time to, to, you know, repair and rebuild and restore, especially if you've been through lots of traumatic surgeries, which I know so many women with endo, heartbreakingly go through so many surgeries and so many procedures um you know that's that's a lot of trauma for a body and of course nutrient depletion will occur it's just like pregnancy pregnancy is a time of nutrient depletion um and so i think you know the more heads up you get of where you're at nutritionally where you're at you know physically and mentally as well uh to try and conceive is the earlier the better and I mean I unfortunately a lot of people come to me like three weeks before they go for IVF or you know like like in a short amount of time expecting that whatever happens in the next three weeks is really going to count but three months is really at a minimum what it takes to improve egg quality improve sperm quality of your partner you know um address any nutrient deficiencies if it's not too severe and even then when it's quite severe three months sometimes isn't enough time uh to really get it where it needs to be unless you're going through like really iv infusions and things like that so ideally you want to be doing three months of being really aware of your environment of your diet of your exercise of you know, tracking your period and doing all these things before you conceive. I think it should be honestly mandatory. I saw this amazing post from um, a fertility dietitian colleague of mine, um, Annabelle, her her Instagram's Wellspring Nutrition, and she uh, posted this uh, awesome little infographic and she was like, um, time spent planning your wedding probably you know six months or a year or mm-hmm. two years time spent planning for a baby you know question mark like like it should at least what be
0: good point three and five, yeah three to
1: four months of you know thinking about it planning making changes and actioning things to really enhance you know your baby's first home and it's really its first nursery is your uterus so um you know there's there's so there's so much more research coming out in this space and I'm so passionate about um the health of parents as well before conceiving because it's not only about conceiving and conceiving uh, a healthy baby and having a healthy pregnancy but it's also the the behaviors that you're then going to model for your child growing up and you know, they're always watching, even when they're not old enough to eat solid food, they're always absorbing their environment and having having a healthy relationship with food, not just a perfect one, but a healthy relationship with food and exercise and your body and um, having these routines in place can make such, such a difference to not only fertility, endo, healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, but the way that your child grows up and views food and Understands food and ch- makes those choices for themselves as they get older, and uh, you know it definitely is a generational thing. And the, I, I, I love that I get to potentially impact you know not just one person or two people, but potentially um, generations of a family. Is just yeah, it's the best part of what I do. So, I think first stop on on the train is definitely getting some blood work done, having a conversation with your doctor. Having to think about you know whether you 're going to come off any kind of hormonal contraceptives to prepare um, and then give yourself three months to really focus in at, at a minimum on your diet and lifestyle and correct any issues that need to be corrected before you actually um, actively start trying to conceive i mean this is in an ideal perfect world obviously there's circumstances where that doesn't doesn 't occur, but I do see a few women heartbreakingly rush into trying to conceive because of fears that they won't be able to or get pregnant now whilst you whilst you can kind of comments being made by doctors and yeah. then I get freaked out women with endo calling me being like oh my god Steph I wasn't even taking a prenatal I didn't think it would happen for me um so it can happen yeah <laughs> it de- it can happen. It's not without the realm of possibility. Uh, endo does not equal infertile, so um, I think that's a big misconception. And uh-huh. you do prepare, as I would expect anybody to, from a physical standpoint and a diet standpoint, for at least yeah three months, ideally. And that's really why I designed the my new nutrition coaching program is really to be that three months with a couple to help them boost that egg and sperm quality together and and yeah hopefully conceive a healthy happy baby
0: it sounds fascinating so if people wanted to like find out more about the program that you have or they wanted to um find you on online and i highly recommend everyone follows you on instagram because i find your instagram fascinating um then where can they find you when where can they find out more
1: yeah oh thank you so much that was so kind (laughs) um So you can find me on my website, thedietologist.com.au and on Instagram at the underscore dietologist. And yeah, I just launched a new podcast as well, which is really exciting called Fertility Friendly Food. Um, And you can search that on Facebook as well and join my group, which is full of about 400 women from around the world who are all trying to conceive and improve their diet. So you're definitely not alone. And uh, yeah, you can definitely find lots of support um, on online and also offline and um, having a chat with me and seeing if we can, we can work on a bit of a plan together to see if we can optimize your diet for fertility and conception.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you on. I have some listener questions, but I know we're out of time. So maybe you and I can chat like, you know, over email and perhaps we can do like an Instagram live where I ask you these questions and, yeah. And people can kind of engage in real time or something like that.
1: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to do that.
0: Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, yeah, just what else you do and just following you on Instagram. I'm, I am i don't want to have children myself, but I just find it really interesting to learn about it. So um, yeah, thank you for all that you're doing. I'm sure that Um, the listeners are just going to love this episode. So thank you so much. And yeah, I hope that you have a lovely evening.
1: Thanks so much, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye.
0: Bye. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world